Good morning, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Everything is Interesting. Thanks for joining us here today on X-Ray. I'm your host, Kira Klingenberg. And I'm also your host, Kira Lindenberg. And because we are particularly lucky and our lives are amazing, helping us out today is the one, the only, Jefferson Smith. Hi. Hi, Jefferson. Last week, the charging port on my cell phone unexpectedly came to a grinding halt in functionality-ness, and I found out that it was going to cost $400 to replace it. So I started thinking, hey, I'm smart. Maybe I can replace it myself. <laughs> and I started laughing because I don't have the slightest idea how to take apart or put back together this cell phone. I don't even know how it works. I've just always assumed it had something to do with like magic and or fairies. No, no, nope, sure doesn't. So today, Are you sure? <laughs> sure, very sure. Today, let's talk cell phones. Our modern smartphones are capable of completing more functions than we could possibly cover in, I don't know, even 10 episodes of this show. So for now, let's just stick to seeing if we can break down two of the fundamental features that keep our phones from simply being pocket sized rectangles on which to play Angry Birds making phone calls and finding our locations with GPS. So, Jefferson, I see you've got your phone right there. Do you uh, use it a lot? You look a little guilty. You look a little... Mm. Lordy, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lordy, yes. Yeah? What, what kind well, of stuff we, do you use it for? All we use things. our phones all the time, too, obviously. I'm currently holding it in my hand, or I couldn't even be here with you guys <laughs> today. So, sometimes we play Angry Birds, yes. But mostly we use it to make wireless phone calls, which is cool. I mean thing to be able to do, especially back before 2015, when we used to call Drake all the time on our cell phone, remember? You used to call me on my cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> that was a short See, clip. <laughs> Drake, Drake did not call many times. Well, we used to call him. No. He's he, lamenting. Oh, we were always calling him. He was never calling us. What's so, his number? <laughs> I can't, I can't secret, say that. On the, I've, got, I've got copyright laws here. Right. So, okay, you see, when you call Drake, it's no small thing. What's happening is your cell phone is essentially capturing the sound of your voice, hurtling it across the earth, and delivering it precisely to Drake's cell phone, wherever Drake happens to be, which could be a lot of places. That's crazy, right? I mean, how does this crazy sort of voice teleportation even work? Let's find out. And for the sake of science, let's keep using Drake as an example. Oh, yes, he's very... Very sciencey. Imagine we call up Drake on our cell phones to tell him, hey, what's up lately? And he says back to us, It's very shallow. It's yeah, very shallow right? Reply. Interesting. Super interesting. Climate change. Gun violence. He wonders why we don't call him much anymore. Anyway, Drake's words travel from his vocal cords to the phone via sound waves. And what does a sound wave look like? Well, it's not an independent object, like a baseball flying through the air. Instead, a sound wave is a description of how something is moving, usually a particle of air or water. You see, sound only exists when the vibration of, say, your vocal cords or a skin that's pulled tight across a drum triggers the movement of the air particles around it. The air particles then collide with and cause the movement of other air particles nearby, and so on and so forth, until eventually some of these moving particles smack right up against your eardrum. Sound waves are similar to ripples in a pond, in that we say ripple as a way to describe how the water in that pond is moving. You don't get ripples by throwing a pebble into an empty hole. No <laughs> water, no ripples. No air or other medium that can vibrate, no sound. 
but I do not believe that cell phones use sound waves to send signals and connect calls. If that were true, the louder I yelled, the better reception there would be. That does not <laughs> appear to be the case. Excellent deduction, Jefferson. And that's right, they, they don't. That's because sound does not travel very far or very fast. So, you know, standing on top of a rooftop and shouting out into the world is not a very good way to talk to someone who's in a different city. To be able to move Drake's voice from his phone all the way to yours, those sound waves have to be converted first. The process of conversion starts with the microphone in Drake's phone. A microphone is a type of transducer, which is a fancy word for a tool that converts energy from one form to another. In this case, the kinetic energy of vibrating air particles is converted into electricity. A simple microphone contains a piece material called a diaphragm. It operates much the same way our eardrums do, by vibrating when it's hit by sound wave carrying air particles. The diaphragm is directly connected to a movable coil of electrical wires. When the diaphragm is vibrated by the sound wave carrying air particles, it causes the wire coil to move back and forth, which with the help of some magnets, yay, creates an electrical <laughs> signal. Then a chip inside Drake's cell phone that's about converting the frequency pattern of this electrical signal into a string of numbers. Those numbers can then be packed up into a radio wave, and that can carry the information at the speed of light. So wait. <laughs> the Drake clips are very short. I mean, very short Drake clips. A radio wave is the thing that is making the phone work because we do radio waves like all the time. Right. Like every morning. That's what X-ray is about. You're radio. Super good Shoo. at it. You're just shooting them all over the place right now. Here well, we how, go. How does it sound radio again? Radio waves. Choo. Can we capture that and use it again? Yeah. Choo. Well, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's radio waves coming out of the radio station right now. And and a radio wave, though, if you, at its basic, is it's electromagnetic radiation. And before you freak out and start making yourself a tinfoil suit, Remember that electromagnetic radiation is just a fancy name for the way photons, or little packets of light energy, travel through space-time. It's light. It's light, you guys. A radio wave is light. It's invisible to the human eye. It's oscillating in giant whoa, waves whoa, whoa, of buildings. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Radio wave is light? Because I thought that was about the audio and light was about the visual. Come on now. Oh, we have much to teach you, young Jefferson. I know. That's why I stick around. <laughs> no, a radio wave is light. I know it doesn't make much sense because we can't see them, but that's just that's because of our eyes. Our eyes are not tuned to see. My lion eyes! <laughs> if you had shrimp eyes, oh man, you would see so many more spectrums of light. Your, that your is, poor, again, sad another human episode. eyes. Shrimp eyes? Right, yeah. Keep going. Oh, we'll do man. an episode okay. about this one day. There's about shrimp eyes? About the rain, I think it's called the rainbow shrimp or something like that. With, I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember it but punches it through see. the walls of the aquariums and it can see like 365, 100. It's like a superhero shrimp. It's crazy. Yeah, we'll, we will do a show on this. <laughs> Let's, it's a story yeah, for another time. Move on. Yeah, this foreshadowing, people. Foreshadowing. Teaser. Okay. On the fly. Okay, so let's get back to the radio wave, which is light, that is carrying Drake's oh-so-important message right to your phone. Now money over everything, money on my mind. So important. So important, Drake. Thanks. So could you say this ra radio wave cell phone signal sort of carries each of our voice messages directly between our phones? You know, like a little invisible speed of light taxi? Not quite exactly. It's more like an invisible speed of light city bus because it has to make a lot of stuff. Yeah, right, right. Okay, the radio wave signals that cell phones send out are routed first through a series of different, well, not first, but they're routed through a series of different receptors. 
It's first picked up by the nearest cell phone tower, uh, otherwise known as a mast. The mast then sends the signal to a base station, which houses radio equipment, and is responsible for coordinating all the different calls in the area. Each base station serves a hexagonal area of the map called a cell, which is why your cell phone is called a cell phone, wow. because it's easier to say than hexagonal area phone. Yes. Depending on where Drake's cell phone is currently located, the base station routes the signal to the next appropriate cell phone map. Pew. From there, your message in the form of a radio wave can go through a number of other transmitters before finally being picked up by the recipient phone. If cell phones actually sent messages between them directly, like walkie-talkies do, every single conversation on every single cell phone across the entire world would each have to be transmitted on a different radio frequency. And we'd all get cancer. I don't know about that. Oh, boy. That is also a whole other episode. Nice. But you have to have these incredibly powerful signals to accomplish that. This would end up draining our cell phone's batteries so fast that they would have to be even bigger than those iconic chunks of plastic people carried around in the 80s, which I'm sure you had, did, Jefferson. I would did they not. have to be bigger than the Zach Morris phones? Yeah. My friend, my, my best friend in high school would carry around a garage door opener so people thought he had a beeper. <laughs> I have so many things to say about you that. You like, what year was that? I just bought like an oscillating fan, you know, because it's hot out, and it came with this little remote control. And I will tell you, it's been sitting on top of my bookshelf, and it looks just like an old clunky cell phone. And every time I see it, I still, I still think, oh my, my phone. Oh no, no, they don't look <laughs> like that anymore. It open? I you really, it, it looks like a snake. flip phone. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> amazing. Okay, so on top of the fact that we'd have to have these giant cell phones. There are only roughly 800 different radio frequencies to go around. So considering that there are over 7 billion active cell phones in the world, if calls went directly from phone to phone, there would be a colossal amount of interference from all the other calls going on. Plus cancer. It would also probably be pretty easy. It would make it easy to intercept calls. And then everybody would know how sad Drake is that you don't call him anymore. You used to call me on my cell phone. He's then so that's sad. it. Just just called me that one time, and then that was it. Just that one time. <laughs> but do you, hear, do you hear the melancholy in his voice? But it was I, brief. It was he was sad, but not for long. Yeah. Oh, poor kid. Okay, so this is pretty awesome. Thanks to a network of transmitters and cell towers, you can send a converted sound wave of your voice in its neat little radio wave package virtually anywhere you want. Cute. Well, you know. So long. <laughs> so, <laughs> where are you? Are you making little laser noises again? Yes. Okay. So you can send this message wherever you want, so long as you're fairly close to a cell tower. Nick just said that he's got money on his mind at least most of the time. I so I think I get this. So I have this phone. It's got to send a signal somewhere. It can't. I can't just shout it. So that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. I can't. It can't go from my phone to that person's <laughs> phone directly because then it would just be too. Right, unless there's only 800 phones out there. And I'd have to be like the Green Lantern. Uh, I'd have to have like the most powerful cell phone nerd alert, the most powerful cell phone anybody ever had. Uh, (laughs) It it could go to a satellite, and that's called a satellite phone, and that's what like DEA agents use when they're in Columbia, according to the TV shows I watch on Netflix. And then there's also then this cell phone, the hexagonal area phone, which I prefer to call it, which communicates (laughs) with something in my hexagon, in my cell, in my area, which then can communicate to someone in another hexagon, another area and i think that's why it doesn't work when i'm in a forest because the forest is not shaped like a hexagon uh maybe it's not that it's shaped like a hexagon oh, but, but it's not it's in one, one yeah cell phone towers aren't really a native species in the oregon mm-hmm. wilderness out there or anywhere else really so they aren't exactly popping up like ferns all over the place we got to build them you know so they got to be there first okay so 
sometime, like recently, I guess it was like a year or two ago, I went to a family reunion and I was driving out in the middle of nowhere and I had no cell service, so I couldn't call anybody about where I was going, but my GPS still worked. How come my GPS still worked? Is this because of satellite? Is because that is a native plant species to Oregon? <laughs> yes, that's it. It's a native species to Oregon. Done. End of show. The, the medicinal properties of the native growing satellite. Um, no, it's because oh, I want to make a joke about hexagons, but let's move on. There is a pretty simple answer. GPS works with no cell signal because GPS relies on satellite, not cell phone towers, to function. So you can be out of range from a cell tower, but in the range of a GPS satellite, and ta-da, your map can still tell you where you are, even if you can't call anyone to come rescue you. But the way that GPS uses these satellites is actually pretty interesting. Originally developed by the U.S. military, GPS stands for the Global Positioning System. And it really is a system comprised of satellites, ground stations, and receivers like the ones that are embedded in your cell phone. So right now, 30 or so U.S.-owned GPS satellites are orbiting high up above the Earth. They each two full rotations around the planet per day, and their orbits are carefully arranged so that there are at least four satellites accessible from almost any point on the surface of the Earth at any given time. Each orbiting satellite is constantly sending out a low-frequency radio wave signal. And as we just learned, radio waves are quite useful because they travel at the speed of light. But rather than just send out a ping or empty static, the satellite is generating a series of numbers that it will send in its message to your phone. So for simplicity's sake, let's pretend that it's just counting. One number per second. One, two, three, and so on. Once, goes. once the satellite sends the message, it takes a little time. Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped. The receiver back on Earth, like the one embedded in your phone, has also started counting at the very same moment. One, two, three. <laughs> once the satellite sends the message. <laughs> okay, Four. So once the satellite sends the message, you have to do some visualization here. It takes a little time to travel through space to the receiver on Earth. While the message is traveling, the receiver is still counting. Maybe the satellite sends out its message when it is counted up to the number 8, but the receiver has continued counting and has reached the number 10 by the time it receives the satellite's message. The final sequence number in the satellite's message will always be slightly behind the number it has counted to when it receives the message. Right, because it takes time to get there. Using simple subtraction, the receiver knows it took exactly, in this case, two seconds for the message to get from it to it from the satellite. Multiply that time by the speed of light, and you get the distance that the signal had to travel. And that is the distance between the receiver and the satellite. Wow. That's Drake's <laughs> Thank you, newest single. Audience. <laughs> is, is there a. So we did have a text in from a listener do the science women appear at parties or bar mitzvahs? And I believe the answer is from Kira uh, Oh my God, we sure will. <laughs> I meant to write if there's payment involved okay <laughs> you know you're going to drive to random parties you know, oh yeah every 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 few days we try to find a bar mitzvah and show up to it to be honest to be honest that would be one reason i would love to be independently wealthy is because I, I actually would just use my time to do stuff like that okay. just go around and teach science like, about bill murray so fun. when bill murray crashes parties except for everybody knows bill murray and will should be like hey right. guys and be like right. who the heck are he you just showed up not as many tweets oh garen gary here i'd freak out yeah be like the science bill murray i think it'd be dope and if there's a one person per million in, in oregon who know who we are okay let's get back to satellites if the receiver can determine the distances between it and at least four satellites orbiting above it 
your phone is a mathematical concept known as trilateration to deduce its own precise location on Earth, which is helpful to you when you're holding the phone. And Yeah, I, what I oh. think is interesting about this segment is that I believe she's been using a cell phone this whole time yeah. and demonstrate, I think demonstrating the strengths and weaknesses of the technology. We planned which this. I've, and I think that the reason, I'm guessing the reason that they're Four, I was thinking about it. How come there are four satellites that it requires? And maybe you can help explain why there are four uh, satellites that are required for trilateration, which sounds like three. Okay. Well, basically, trilateration is this mathematical concept that is used by your phone and the satellites to sort of take multiple points of reference to narrow down your exact location using math, right? The more points of reference you have, the more precise that your determination is. So let's try and visualize the concept of trilateration, and to keep it simple, we'll use an example that is on a two-dimensional space, where we only need three points of reference. Jefferson, maybe you can help us out with this one? I am happy to be a point of reference. All right, let's start by imagining that you meet a wizard in the Grand Hall of Wizardry. Sounds racist. Behold the Grand Hall of Wizardry! This is where young potentials train to become ultimate wizards. But most are not ready for the responsibility that comes with it. I'm responsible. I'm responsible, too. I want to be a wizard. <laughs> All right. So, so here in the Grand Hall, the wizard has built three sand castles at random points. One is red, one is blue, and one is yellow. You can see the position of all three of these adorable little sand castles of wizardry on the flat 2D space of the floor. Great. This is nice. Thank you, wizard. Thanks, wizard. But then the wizard tells you that buried somewhere within the triangle formed by these sandcastles is a secret key that will open the gates to infinite wisdom. You just have to guess where it is. And he will let you ask three questions, but you only get one guess at the location. You get it wrong, you lose your chance forever, and you also get thrown in a pit of ravenous alligator snakes, which is terrible. Wizards are the worst. Well, well, actually, actually, this wizard isn't all bad. He's just subtly trying to teach you the basics of trilateration because he's given you three questions. And that's all you need to find the position of the key to infinite wisdom. King. Oh, I was just stepping to you, girl, with my intellectual wizard politics. What? No. <laughs> so let's problem solve. The first question that you ask will be... How far is the key from the red castle? And the wizard replies... Exactly four meters. Can Magical you meters. More of course. Voice, yes. This is helpful. You can now draw a red circle around the red sandcastle starting at any point that is four meters from it. All points on this red circle satisfy the location parameters the wizard just gave you, so you know that the key lies somewhere on this circle. But you don't want to use up your guess yet because the location of the key could lie anywhere along the line of the red circle you just drew. So guessing now would not be very precise, and with so many chances to be wrong, it's not worth it. So now is a good time to ask your second question. But I don't think when I'm asking these questions, I'm the wizard, right? I'm no, just some... you. You are you are the person You're who is peon. trying to You're... find right, right. So the I don't need to sound like a wizard. I need to like sound like somebody who doesn't know anything. So I'll I'll use this voice. How far is the key from the blue castle? Two magical meters. The wizard answers. <laughs> How about that? Was that wizardry? Really that was amazing. Okay. Whew. Aha. Okay. So two magical meters. Now we are getting somewhere. We already know that the key must lie on one of the points on the red circle you just drew around the red castle. And now you 
can also draw a blue circle around the blue castle where all points of that circle are two magical meters from it. And the key must lie along this circle as well. So the red and the blue circles must then also overlap and intersect in two places. And the key must be buried beneath one of the intersection points. Excellent. <laughs> Well done. <laughs> Those are some wizard sounds, so you can really get in the mood. I love the hard cuts. <laughs> it is out. You're done. No more. No more clip for you. Getting a real glimpse into what it's like to be a real wizard. Okay, so hurrah. You've narrowed it down to two places. But you still only get one guess, and there's a 50-50 chance that you'll be thrown into a pit of alligator snakes. So you don't want to answer until you're absolutely sure. So now... Ask your third and final question about your third and final reference point. How far is the key from the yellow castle? The wizard sighs and says, three magical, three magical meters. So you draw a yellow circle around the yellow castle with a radius of three magical meters. And there will be only one place that that circle intersects with both the red and the blue circles. So unless the wizard is a dirty trickster and was giving you false information, that intersection has to be the exact location of the key to infinite wisdom. And you've just found it using trilateration. Thanks, wizard. Well, actually, thanks, mathematics, but whatever. This concept works well in a three-dimensional space. Woo, wizard. So this concept works well in the three-dimensional space that we exist in, too. But you have to use spheres instead of circles, which is so cool and so complicated. Spheres. You also need at least four points of reference to accurately determine your position in a 3D space, which is why the GPS system is designed so that the receiver in your phone has access to at least four satellites at any given time. Pretty neat, huh? Yes, very neat. And I do understand. And my guess was correct about why we needed an extra satellite because it was three-dimensional space. Because I know, roughly speaking, how trilateral... I didn't even say the word. Trilateration. <laughs> it's okay. I kept thinking it was triangulation, which is totally different. See, I thought it was too. And apparently it's different. <laughs> yeah. But I figured that the fourth was... And this, why are there four? In fact, I thought it was a typo. Turns out not a typo. And I guess the reason why we don't all use satellite phones and you only get to use it if you're in a Netflix show in the DEA is that there aren't enough satellites... There isn't a satellite network to communicate with all of our phones and probably, therefore, renting satellite space. You get to do it if you're in the DEA or the CIA or you spend a lot of money. Right. You probably have government-owned satellites that are, like, made for you. And, to... like, Elon Musk probably has, like, a satellite phone. Oh, he yeah. He probably one. has, like, 17. He probably has more satellites than he even tells us. All and right. they're really cool. I bet they can land back on Earth. Uh. Dope. Yep. So, Kira. I concur. And, 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 and I do believe we are, and yes, I'm talking to you, Kira. Do you mm-hmm. feel like you can now take your cell phone apart and fix it? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I understand. But you know how to find the magic things. key. Oh, yes. That was the conclusion that I came to as well. If I can find where the magical key is buried, I can use it to take apart my cell phone, but never to put it back together. So I'll just have a pile of parts. But I know a lot more how my cell phone works, and that's pretty cool. I appreciate it very much. And to understand the various options for the walkie-talkie versus the GPS versus the cell phone versus something else that hasn't been invented yet, I appreciate it. Jerry, it's kind of a neat distinction. It's definitely something I was thinking about and and I always had my hunches, but, you know, doing the show, I definitely learned a whole lot, too. So thanks for being a part of this with us, Jefferson. It's an honor. Yep. We appreciate it. And thank you, everybody, who has been listening. 
you have been listening to Everything is Interesting on X-Ray, and we'll be back in two weeks with another episode, maybe two about shrimp weeks. eyes. Yeah, maybe about maybe about shrimp eyes. I actually think that's a good, it's a good uh, topic. So two weeks, guys. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye.